I at least sort of developing infrastructure to uh, invest in crypto or be a part of uh, a part of crypto. And I believe that they understand something maybe some of us don't. So I'm just sitting on my crypto. It's a long term investment. I wish they would just kind of stop so that we can go ahead and get to the business of making money. So I don't know how long Coinbase is going to have these problems. It's just kind of kind of sad. All right. Um, Oh yeah, yeah, no, no problem, Vince. It's no apology necessary. You can put you can put more questions in there. Uh, leave your uh, if you want me to definitely put the questions at the top of the list. If you leave them in the Wufu form, uh, if you log in at the blackstockmarketprogram.com, there's the link there where you can leave me questions. So uh, that's a good way to make sure it gets to the top of the list. All right. So um, and if you have a question, put it in the Q and A section. If, if it's in the chat, I may or may not see it. Uh, so let's see here. Uh, Travis, SPY and BOO, is it an index fund or a mutual fund? I believe that uh, SPY is an ETF and BOO, I believe, is a mutual fund. Okay. Um, and uh, and also, if you have any questions or any, uh, you know, challenges as far as using the system, uh, just email support at theblackbusinessschool.com. Support at the, T-H-E, don't forget the T-H-E, theblackbusinessschool.com, and they can help you kind of get where you need to get to for sure. Uh, Sandy Green, good morning, Dr. Boyce. What is the difference between a market cap investment and diversified ETFs and diversified stocks? Um, a market cap investment, I don't know that term exactly. I know what market cap is. And I know what an investment is, but market cap investment, it, I maybe I'd have to look it up, but I've, ne I've never heard that term. Um, uh, now, if you want to look at the difference between investing in a company uh, versus investing in an ETF, an ETF is where you're investing in a lot of companies at one time. It's an exchange-traded fund that tracks a certain index, right? So effectively, you're invested in a lot of different companies. Think of it like a soup. A soup is, if I get one spoonful of a soup, it's like I'm getting all the ingredients that are in the soup, right? So even if there's like one ounce of, of you know, vinegar in there, I'm getting a little bit of vinegar in that soup, right? So your uh, ETFs and your mutual funds are great ways to diversify, and put your money into things that uh, don't require you to sort of analyze individual stocks. Sandy, uh, oh, okay, I already asked, answered that question. All right. Um, can you spell those accounts? Yeah, B-O-O, -O, uh, Victor, Oscar, Oscar, and S-P-Y, S-P-Y. Uh, let's see, Yermi Yahoo. Uh, I apologize for asking you to repeat yourself. May you please state where you should invest the $5 a day for your job. Okay, we already talked about that. Okay, good. Uh, and the $5 a day investing plan is at boycewalkins.com, my website. So uh, just go there and it's right there. Um, and again, if you want it in book form, the book is super short, but it's available on Amazon if you want to go take, if you want to just, if you want it in book form, but really you don't need that. You just go to my website and get it for free. All right. So um, let's see here. Uh, Sandy Green, Dr. Boyce, is this a good time to invest in Amazon, Google and Meta stocks? Yeah. <laughs> Although I think all those companies are good. I wonder how Meta is going to deal with the competition from Apple. I kind of feel like Apple has a bone to pick with Meta. And I think that's why they're kind of messing with them a lot. Um Meta is, uh, yeah, yeah, because remember, they have the Oculus, right? And then Apple just came out with their headset, which is better than Meta's, but it costs like, you know, 10 times more or something. So, um, but I, I wonder if Apple's going to start competing directly with Meta. I, I, I'm just curious to see how that plays out. I just think Apple's going to win because Apple has the direct connect to the customer. And, uh, and and Meta Meta has to go through Apple to get to you, right? They have to go through your cell phone to connect to you. That's a big problem. Uh, let's see. Latanya says, should we save for kids and Roth for minors or regular investment accounts for teenagers? Um, well, you know what? Well, traditional IRAs allow you to defer your taxes, um, and you pay your taxes when you withdraw the money. Uh, a Roth IRA allows you to uh, let your money grow tax free, but you well you but you pay your taxes 
in advance, right? So you use post-tax money for a Roth. Um, you know, I, I would say use those tax-deferred accounts as much as possible uh, for the teenager. Even if you use a taxed account, it's it's still it's still it's still better than doing nothing, right? So um, I wouldn't allow something like the tax situation to, to make you say yay or nay to doing that. We should all invest for ourselves. We should all invest for our kids. Uh, tax deferred accounts should always be used as much as possible. So that might be a good answer to kind of uh, nail down what you were asking there. Uh, let's see, Sandy, uh, are there any defense stocks, uh, stock markets that you would suggest as a stock to look into at this time? Um, well, if you log in uh, at the blackbusinessschool.com, I have the list of what Dr. Boyce is buying. So there's plenty of stocks in there. So you can take a look at some of those. Uh, in terms of defense, uh, I don't know if you're talking about military defense or just stocks that are defensive in nature. Um, in, let me see. I, I think I own some shares of Boeing, but I don't know how well it's doing. I, I don't. I haven't kept up with it. Uh, but that might be, you know, something to look into in terms of a company that knows how to make money. Uh, and so, or a good way to buy into that stock could be a time where maybe if the market starts to dip, uh, that might be a good time to get in. Uh, one of the things that uh, that you should know about as well is I was reading this morning, there's an analyst who says that he thinks that this market is going to crash or have a major correction. A correction is basically a crash, kind of like a crash, but crash is kind of more uh, definitively devastating, whereas a correction just means that the current prices on the market are not correct and that you have to correct those prices. So if you see a stock that's trading at 60 and then they release their earnings numbers and the price drops to 50, some would say the stock crashed, but technically it's just a correction. It doesn't mean the company's garbage. It doesn't mean that it, you know you can't make any money. It just means that the market used to think that the stock's price, that the valuation was $60, but now with this new information, they're correcting their previous assessment. So now with the correction, the price drops to 50. So it looks like a crash, but actually that could be a buying opportunity, okay? So I'm gonna tell you this before I even read some of this. I believe that if this guy is right, that the market's going to drop, which he could be right. I think that there's some merit to his argument. That's a buying opportunity. That's a, because between now, I, I I would be stunned if you talk about between now, the next 18 months, I'd be stunned if the stock market didn't go up in the next 18 months. I'd be absolutely stunned by that. So let me read here. Um, this is from Mike Wilson and Morgan Stanley. Uh, here's what Mike has to say. I'm going to read some of this and I'll give you some context. He says uh, he's sticking with his bearish call for a tactical correction despite the recent rally driven by tech stocks. Quote, hotter but shorter cycles persist. We continue to forecast an earnings recession this year that we don't think is priced. So what he's saying is that he believes that companies are going to start reporting lower earnings, which is going to pull stock prices down. He believes that the market has not already incorporated this into current stock prices. He believes that the market is wrong, which again is a is a is a really risky thing to say because a lot of the um, the theories on finance say that the market tends to be right, but I don't believe in I don't believe that. I think the market could be wrong, uh, but he's saying that they're clearly wrong. He's saying that there's this information out there that company earnings are going to drop, the consumer is going to weaken, and I've seen some some. Um, I, I've seen some uh, some evidence of this that consumers are just not, um, shall we say, they're just not doing as well. They're not as resilient as they were before. Uh, and in fact, actually, some of you may have seen that Joe Biden. How many of you saw that Joe Biden is going to start making you pay your student loans again? Anybody else see that? Uh, the student loan uh, deferrals that happened during the pandemic are coming uh, to an end. And so some people believe that when Joe Biden starts forcing you to um, uh, pay your student loans, 
well, that's going to cause uh, some problems in terms of consumer spending. Um, so basically, uh, this could cause the stock market to crash because one of the things that is amazing about America is that we just spend money like crazy. Americans are really well-trained, I mean, almost to the point of being brainwashed, to spend our money. And I didn't know this until I went to, uh, in 2006, I did a research visit at the Center for European Economic Research in Mannheim, Germany. And one of my colleagues who was German basically said to me that he's blown away by how much money Americans spend. He said in, in Germany, he said, we pay more in taxes, more in taxes than you do. Uh, we have lower incomes than you do, but we save five times more than you do. So basically, uh, when I when I heard that, what it what it made me think about is all the different ways they go uh, into making consum consumption and buying things like part of your culture, and they and they start this very early, uh, you know. So uh, ultimately, the the stock market could crash um, if the consumer is no longer able to keep on with their buying addiction. Uh, who is it? Ray Dalio, uh, who's a really smart guy. I really like Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio pointed this out. He's, he's, he's been saying this for a while. He basically says that he makes the argument that consumers uh, to feed their addiction. Imagine it. Think of it like a crack addiction. So consumers, in order to feed their crack addiction, uh, you know, to spend, 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 they basically keep doing it, even if their income drops and corporations stop paying them as much money as they did before. They But they still keep spend, spend, spending. And then what eventually happens is that they... Um, they run out of money, right? So then when they run out of money, banks come along and banks say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, we'll finance you, we'll fund you. We'll give you we'll give you the money you need to, to keep your spending habit going, right? So you get your crack on credit, right? The dope dealer says, you know, don't worry. You can just owe me, you just owe me, right? So ultimately when that dope dealer is offering, offering you uh, credit on your crack, well, what's a crackhead gonna do? A crackhead's gonna keep on smoking because they're not thinking about the future, they're thinking about the present. They're not into delayed gratification. They're into instant gratification. That's why they smoke crack. So effectively, um, to some extent, uh, you know, the, the consumer, so the consumer keeps going into debt, deeper and deeper in debt, and uh, and they keep buying. And what happens is that the economy keeps moving, uh, you know, and, and corporations are making record profits and the stock market is just doing these amazing things. Well, eventually, the, the, the system can't, can't sustain itself. Eventually it breaks down. So eventually the consumer can't get any more credit. Uh, the consumer realizes that they're way over their head. They can't keep paying insane amounts of rent. They can't keep borrowing to maintain a lifestyle they can't afford. They're, they're eventually forced into some sort of frugality. And they argue that the student loans could be part of that catalyst that pushes the issue for the consumer. And when, and when that happens, what you're going to see is that companies like Target and others, Target, which is already going through a lot because they're dealing with a boycott from, from some ads that they ran. Uh, but but Target and some other companies are going to start losing money because consumers are not are just not going to shop as much at retailers. So uh, he's saying that this is going to occur. And when it does occur, it's going to cause the market to drop. Um, I don't think that he's wrong, but at the same time, he could be. So I would say to you, keep your eyes open for a market correction. If you see one, then that could be a great buying opportunity because these companies go down, but they don't go out. They're constantly adjusting. There's a lot of pressure on them to make money and they know how to do it well. So here's what else he says. He says that uh, the Wiley follow strategist. So this guy is followed by a lot of people. 
He predicts the S&P 500 to finish 2023 at 3,900, which is 9% below where it is right now. I think that's a little too bearish. I don't agree with that. Uh, excuse me. His forecast is well below the average of 41.57. So most Wall Street strategists are predicting that the S&P 500 is going to stay flat. Most of them are predicting that it's not going to go up much further in 2023. But a lot of people are predicting that 2024 is going to be just beautiful. So what strategy does that lend itself to? Well, um, if I'm a consistent investor, then I'm, I'm going to use every extra penny I have to just buy into the market now because the S&P is here. By the end of 2024, it should be up here. And um, and, and that's how you can be positioned to take advantage of, of this natural growth and wealth. Um, let me see here if there's anything else here. They said Wilson has been one of the biggest bears on Wall Street over the past year. And he's been warning recently about high valuations that are hard to justify based on the outlook for earnings. The S&P 500 has gained more than 2% this month alone, pushing its 2023 gains to nearly 12%. <clears throat> the tech-heavy NASDAQ composite just notched its sixth straight weekly gain, a streak not seen since 2020, and it's up 27% so far. So the NASDAQ has been carrying the weight of this market rally. The NASDAQ stocks, particularly the biggest companies, you know, the NVIDIAs. Uh, I don't know how many of you owned NVIDIA. My God, I hope that you did, because I did specifically on multiple occasions talk to you guys about NVIDIA. Um, and let me tell you what got me to look into NVIDIA, believe it or not, was our, our, our teenage son. Like, he actually mentioned nvidia and i was sitting there and i want to teach the kids about the stock market so years ago he said he said boys buy nvidia you got to buy nvidia they're making all the gaming chips so i looked into it and i said okay all right let's buy some nvidia so i just bought it and that's how you know we kind of buy stock so i didn't think about it until like recently nvidia stock has gone insane now the thing about nvidia is there are a lot of people that believe that it went a little bit too high uh and there are some companies like c3.ai that uh, ticket, which is, uh, we talk about that in the Prime program, which where we sell options on C3.ai. Um, some people believe that some of these companies are benefiting a little bit too much from the AI craze. So if you're buying into these stocks, um, be really careful because the same thing that feeds, the same hand that feeds you could be the hand that bites you. And I'm looking at C3.ai, which is one of my favorite stocks. I've made a, ton, a lot of money on this one. I've been talking to you guys about it for probably about a year now. Um, C3.ai, is up 6% today. Uh, this month is up 96%. Holy crap, that's insane. I did up 214% on the year. Um, that's, that's wow, that's really powerful. I didn't, I didn't know it was up that much. I, I just knew I was happy to own it. Uh, let me show you guys, let me show it on screen so you guys can see it. Um, this Yeah, this wow, what an investment. So yeah, this stock is up 213% this year. Uh, year to date, 239%. Over the last year, 96%. Over a five-year period, though, it's down, right? So there was a time it was trading high. So this is kind of a crippled stock to some extent. But remember, it goes back to the point I was making to you guys earlier, that a a good company is not always a good investment. A bad company is not always a, a bad investment. Sometimes a bad company can be the best investment that you make. There are people out here who, where all they do is buy distressed companies. All they do is buy fixer-uppers. It's almost like house flipping. There are people who buy busted-up houses because they think that there's more value to be unlocked from ownership of that property. They don't want the shiny new pretty house because that's going to be that's going to trade at a premium, right? The shiny pretty house is going to, you know, be ex very expensive. So they say, no, give me that busted up $25,000 house in Detroit. I'm going to go in there, fix it up, apply some skill, put some elbow grease in and increase the value from $25,000 to $100,000. And I'm going to make $65,000 on the flip. Right. So uh, so investing, this goes to the other point that I've talked to you guys about when it comes to investing. 
investing is about a style. It's like a culture. It's like the kind of clothes you wear, right? There's no one right way to do it. The best thing I can say to you is that when it comes to uh, investing, learn as much as you can so you can find the style that works for you, right? So if you're picking the style of clothing you want to wear, nobody can tell you how you should dress. Uh, some people want to dress conservatively. Some people want to dress. There's somebody want their. Some people want to dress with their booty out. Some people want to dress, you know, in, in a corporate fashion with a, with a tie and a vest. Some people may want to wear uh, a tank top, right? So, so really, you know, it's not about sort of, you know, being told how to dress. It's like sort of figuring out what your style is, number one, but then also figuring out what style is appropriate for the situation that you're going into, right? So maybe you don't wear the same dress to church that you might have worn to the club the night before. You know the difference between the church and the club. So just like investing, uh, there's some investment portfolios that I have that have different objectives. So uh, I have my long-term portfolio that I'm going to use when I get old and I can't work anymore. I have the medium-term portfolio that I use that I don't usually touch very much, but I use it when I want to make big moves in terms of investing in companies or whatever. Then I have my shorter my, my shorter term portfolio that I might use to generate income. And that's what we do in the Prime program, by the way. So in the Prime program, if you're interested, just go to drboysprime.com. Uh, drboysprime.com is about one thing. The goal is to generate income. The goal is not so much to build equity and everything else. That's part of it. That's a secondary objective. The number one goal is to create a portfolio that allows you to consistently extract income that you can then use for whatever you 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 want to use it for. That's what I do. I have my stocks that I sell options on, and it only works for certain companies. It doesn't work for all of them. And with that money, I take that money and I send it to my wife and say, "Okay, let's pay down the credit cards or let's pay the 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 mortgage or whatever." Right. So uh, feel free to go to drboysprime.com if you want to learn more about that. Also, um, at the convention, I think we're gonna do we'll, we'll do some kind of stock market stock option gathering at the convention. I got to figure out what we can fit in. Um, uh, and so, if you want to get more information about the convention, I encourage you to go ahead and and get ready now. Because we're, we're definitely going to sell out. Like we're, we're all, in fact, most of the tickets are already sold. Uh, so if you'd like to join us or sponsor or whatever, get a, get a bending table, uh, just go to allblacknationalconvention.com and also on my website, voicewalkins.com. There's information about the convention there too. All right. So let me answer a few more uh, questions that you guys submitted in advance. Uh, let's see. Uh, I see a question from Emily. She's asking, uh, thank you for your, all your great teaching. You are welcome. I, I've learned so much uh, and did my first investment after I enrolled in the BBS. Very nice. Much love and respect. My question is, if a stock is doing really bad, do you sell or is there a formula you use to determine when to sell a stock? That is a really difficult question. That's really difficult. Um, I will tell you when I sell. Here's the thing. I start when, I, when it comes to thinking about when I sell a stock, I start with the rule of rich people. The rule of rich people is that uh, people don't become let me ask you this does a rich person have more more stuff or less stuff does a rich person own more assets or fewer assets than a poor person let's say that money didn't exist let's say that there was no money there's no such thing as money yet so so you you have to figure out who the rich guy is right we talked about this a little bit before but it will go into it a little bit more now so so does a rich person tend to have more or less the rich person tends to have more. They have an abundance, right? They have more, whatever it is, whatever you value, there's more stuff, right? So to get more stuff, you've got to kind of be an accumulator, right? So a person who has a hoarding personality who accumulates things, they're going to tend to be wealthier than a person who gives things away, right? So so if you hoard and you protect what you have, then you're going to be, uh, you're going to have more stuff, which means theoretically you're going to be richer. If you're constantly giving things away, uh, you're very generous. 
you're, you're giving to others, but you're not giving to yourself. So you end up being depleted. Right. Uh, and, and this even applies even uh, from a social standpoint. Uh, they say that uh, some of the most depressed people uh, in America are like pastors and counselors because they're giving so much to other people that they deplete themselves. Right. They're constantly like there for everybody else, but they get drained. Right. So uh, so so that's the first principle you start with when you talk about investing. So one point that I start with when I'm thinking about a wealthy mindset is I want to accumulate as much stuff as possible and try not to give a lot of it away. And if I give it away, there has to be a good reason for me to give it away. I, or, you know, in fact, in fact, the goal is to maybe even make it an investment as opposed to um, just charity, right? Even with my kids, when they want money from me, I say, what am I investing in? What, what are we accomplishing here that's going to make us all better off when I give you this money? Because I don't want you to just, I don't want you to give you this money so we can just waste it. Let's figure out how we can do something with this money where it's going to pay the family back, right? In some meaningful way, right? So effectively, what I would say is when you're talking about when to sell your stock, um, I only tend to sell my stock for a, a two or three reasons. I sell if I um, if I find a better investment, if I think that there's some other place for my money that will give me a better return on investment. Like if I see a real estate deal and I want to sell some stock to buy some real estate, I might do that. Do it then. Uh, I might sell if I need the cash. Sometimes things happen. Uh, this is why you own assets. Is it gives you financial security. Well, what are you, remember, security is protecting you from something. What are you being protected from? Well, you're being protected from this monster called life. Like life can be beautiful, but sometimes it can be ugly, right? You, this monster comes in and tries to break in your house and disrupt your spirit because this problem occurs and you have you need money in order to solve it. So financial security means I have all these assets here so that if the monster of life comes and tries to attack me, I can defend myself. Right. Um, so, so, so accumulate. So, so the other, so, so that's the second reason I might sell is if I just need the cash. Um, a third reason I might sell is for diversification purposes. Right. So it, for example, with NVIDIA stock, there was a guy on TV who owned NVIDIA and they were talking about NVIDIA because NVIDIA was just kind of the place to be um, with AI. And uh, they said, you sold NVIDIA. Why did you sell your NVIDIA stock? And he said, I didn't sell at all. Um, he, they said, well, do you think the stock is going to go down? He said, no, I think it could go up. They said, well, if you think it's going to go up, why would you sell? He said, because I don't want to have all my uh, more than a certain percentage of my money in one place. So you diversify. So if so in 2020, when the stock market was going to the, to the moon and, and I, all I do is talk about the stock market. I'm, I'm, that's a big thing for me. Right. Uh, when it was going to the moon, uh, I started selling. I said, uh, uh when, when, when the party gets crazy, I don't want to be a buyer. I want to be a seller. So I started selling some of my stock, shaving it off the top, and I put a bunch of that money into real estate, right? I did that because I realized I was overexposed in the stock market and underexposed in real estate. And so you got to, you know, when you see things going up, when you see things going well, a smart investor doesn't just keep a cool head, right? Remember, fear and greed are your enemies. If you get too caught up in fear or greed, you're going to lose money, right? But another thing a smart investor does is when things are going good, they say, okay, what could go wrong? And how do I use this opportunity to protect myself? You know, it, like it's, it's summertime, I need to start storing nuts for the winter because winter is always coming. A crash is always coming. A decline is always coming. So when you have that relative in your family who tells you, oh, well, you know, the stock market is going to crash, right? You say, absolutely, of course it's going to crash. It, it crashes all the time. 
right? So you protect yourself, right? So uh, so that, that those would be three reasons I sell. Um, remember that wealthy people have that buy, borrow, and die strategy that we talked about in class where they buy stuff, they hold it, and, they, and when they need money, they borrow against it. They don't sell it because if you sell it, you have to pay taxes. Rich people don't like taxes. They're allergic to taxes. And so they uh, they borrow against it and then they die and they pass it to their kids. So so really getting that money to the finish line is really the main goal. But you could have, you know, obviously like anybody else along the way, you want to enjoy your money too. And I think that's perfectly fine. So uh, those might be some reasons that you might want to sell. But, but you know, and then sometimes people sell for tax loss reasons too. Like if you're making money, you know, a lot of money on the left side and you have a big loss on the right side, you might sell your dog, your dead stocks at the end of the year so you can write that off on your taxes. So that's another reason why some people sell. <clears throat> or <clears throat> or more simply put, if you just think it's a bad company, you don't like, you know, the dynamics of the company. It's not your cup of tea. Maybe it's too volatile. Maybe you're just sick of watching it go down or you don't believe in the stock anymore. I think that's okay too. All right. So <clears throat> let me see. Next question. <clears throat> okay. So uh, Donald, your question is about covered call options. Uh, we talked a little bit about options earlier. I'd rather wait until prime class to kind of hit options. So bring that question to prime class. Uh, DrVoicePrime.com if you want to join us uh, when we talk about selling options and making money, stuff like that. Uh, let's see here. Um, uh, next question. Uh, okay, because I, I do see, Donald, that you did ask, if you have $100,000 to invest in stock that you can sell options on, how much money could you make per week from that investment? Um, it depends on how you look at it, but I don't think that say $2,500 a week is out of the question. So literally you could generate 70 to a hundred thousand dollars a year in income off a $100,000 investment. If you pick the right stocks and if you protect your portfolio in the right way. So that means that some of your money would go toward buying the stock. Some of it would be going toward protecting your, uh, your investment with puts to make sure that you don't get hammered if the, if the market drops like Coinbase is doing right now. Um, but yeah, um, you know, I, I don't see a reason why a person can't make at least fifty thousand a year off a of one hundred thousand dollar investment uh, if they're doing if, they're, if you take that strategy. So just uh, feel free to join us in class. Um, DrBoyceprime.com is where you can go if you'd like to join us. Uh, Polly says, "I just finished paying off my credit builder loan for two years. Now they're giving me two options: one, pay out all, pay out my money, or two, I can leave it as a CD or let it mature." Okay, so you have a credit builder loan, you just paid it off, and they're letting you. They, they're going to they're giving you the option to pay out your money. Um, huh. OK, I, I don't know what you mean by pay out your money. If you pay off a loan, I, I guess I'm not sure what money you're referring to. But, uh, you know, I guess leaving your money in the CD, that's a slow, conservative way to grow your money. There's nothing wrong with that. If you are a conservative person, then CDs can be fine. They're, they're paying more than they paid before. But uh, if you are a person that doesn't, that wants your money to grow a little bit faster or you're willing to take a little bit of risk, um, then maybe you can get a hold of your money and invest that in, in the stock market. I like to kind of be in control of my money. I don't really necessarily like my money locked up for long periods of time. Uh, liquidity is something I enjoy. So, um, you know, it's kind of up to you because remember, if you lock your money into the CD or whatever, there is uh, you're giving up time for money. Right. They're basically saying. Let us hold your money for a certain amount of time so we can use it to do whatever and make money from your money. And then we'll give it back to you at the end. Right. So that's not a bad strategy. Uh, I But I can say I don't own any CDs. Uh, I, I did that a long time ago, but that's not so much my thing. But it, but it might be your thing. It's totally OK. Uh, let's see. Natasha says, do you have any thoughts on the Webull brokerage app? Um, I, I hear Webull is fine. They're offering 10 to 24 free shares for opening an account. That's nice. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't believe in having all your money in one app, though. But Weeble, I, the reviews I've seen have been fine. I, I don't have any reason to dislike Weeble. Uh, let's see here. Um, Mr. Jan Jasmine says, uh, oh, you're asking about direct public offerings. Okay, so direct public offerings. How do you invest in direct public offerings? Um, let's see here. Well, you know what? Uh, that sounds a lot like IPOs. I got to look up the difference between a direct public offering and an IPO. But an, an initial public offering or a direct public offering, either way, that's where you can buy shares in a company, uh, you know, before they actually are traded on the market, right? So it's like offered directly to the public. Um, I, I think that they're kind of overhyped. I think IPOs and all that are, are a little bit overhyped. Um, but but you can. I know with TD Ameritrade, they allow you access to IPOs and DPOs. Uh, there are other platforms you can do that. But I don't think there's any sort of magic formula to it, to be honest with you. Um, there is a part of the game that's a little bit rigged where some of the brokerage firms might give uh, you know, might give a special privileges to their wealthy clients uh, that help them make easy money. But, you know, you're not going to get that advantage, honestly, by going through a website. You know, so I, 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 I wouldn't get overly caught up in whether something's an IPO or not. But investing can be fun, right? Don't be afraid to have fun with investing, right? So, so uh, I'll give you an example. If I have a choice between investing in a company that I think is going to be a good investment versus investing in a company that's exciting to me, I like the exciting investment. You know, it's part of my ROI isn't just the money. It's it's knowing I'm a part of the game. I'm a part of something that's really cool. So I invested in, in NVIDIA not just because um, I thought the company could do well. I invested in, in NVIDIA because I like gaming. I like that industry. I like knowing that my family's wealth is tied to how many people are playing video games. I thought that was the coolest thing. Or I would buy stock at McDonald's in front of the kids just to say, hey, see that McDonald's right there? Our family owns a piece of that McDonald's. Do that with your kids. Tell them, like say, say things like that to them. Uh, Cause that kind of, they'll internalize that. They'll, they'll start to feel, you know, they'll start walking with their back straight a little bit. You know, like they really will. Like, especially, especially I find it that this, um like, we, you know, you guys know, I, I assume, you know, we have a, a black business school for children. It's at blackmillionairesoftomorrow.com. And so anyway, at blackmillionairesoftomorrow, uh, one thing I found is that the investing thing works really well when you have like boys that are like struggling in school or get in trouble. Or boys that were like I was. Like, I had a lot of energy. They they told my mother I had ADHD and all this other stuff. And they tried to get, you know, put me on medication. And my mother's like, hell no, you're not going to do that. You're not putting nothing in my child like that. And because um, they just wanted me to sit down and shut up and be quiet. And I, I personally like the high energy side of who I am. Like, I'm still the same ADHD kid. I'm just 51 years old instead of 11. But anyway, um, I'm going to tell you what. When I got an opportunity to make money, woo! My parents did not have to make me get out of bed at 6 a.m. to go on that paper route. They didn't. I would get up Saturday morning at 7.30 and get on a bus with some white lady who could have kidnapped us. She could send us anything. Oh, get on this bus, this white lady. And she would drop us off in these neighborhoods that we'd never been to and give us a little route. And we would sell candy door to door. And, uh, and it, at first it was hard, but she taught us what to do. And really, she was probably exploiting us. Like, I think the candy was, like, she would buy the candy for, like, 75 cents. We'd sell it for $3, and she would give us, like, 50 cents a box or 25 cents a box. And, I, and so, so it was a it was a whole, you know, it was a whole racket, right, for her, right? She eventually got arrested, I think. <laughs> but let me just tell you, though, like, I loved that job. 
Oh my God. Do you understand the high I felt as an 11 year old coming home with $60 in my pocket? Oh, you can tell me nothing. And, uh, and, and, and my, and at that point, my parents didn't have to make me do any of that. They didn't have to say, well, you better get up. You better do this. Better do. So some of your kids, you know, if they're inspired by money and you put them in a position where they can make some money, like investing and all that stuff, they'll just, they'll just take it on. Like it becomes, you know, because it, it, it's like, um, I, I think for your boys, girls, girls do it too. So I'm not discounting the girls at all. I guess maybe we're talking about the boys because a lot of us are concerned about what's going on with some of our boys, right? A lot of our boys want to be athletes and entertainers and that never works out. 99.9% of the time, you ain't never going to make no money playing basketball or rapping or playing football. We know these things. But for that little boy who is never going to grow to be taller than five foot seven, you know, he's never going to be able to dunk a basketball, throw a football, but for him to know that he can get out here and make some money and, and, and like really have his back straight because he's driving a nice car, living in a nice house, got a nice portfolio. That really feeds into his competitive nature. That's something that will, for some of your boys, it will stimulate and excite them and give them an outlet for all that extra energy. Because that was the problem my parents had with me as a kid was like this, finding some way to uh, channel all this extra energy I had. So I played all the sports and I loved making money. And, uh, and to this day, I'm kind of the same guy. I still work hard. I compete with myself every day. I love I, making money is fun, right? Investing is fun. Uh, and uh, and so some of you have sons like that or daughters like that too. And I just encourage you, like put them in those spaces. And so when we buy stock, I'll buy stock, like I'll wherever we go, like we go to Starbucks, if I want to teach them about stock, I'll say, let's buy some stock in Starbucks right now, right? And then I'll talk them through just the, um, the pride in knowing that we now own a percentage of Starbucks because of what we just did while we were in the drive-thru. Those are the, some of the best financial lessons you can give your kids. You don't have to necessarily make them read big old books and go through a whole class all the time. Just those little nuggets will stay with them for life, I guarantee you. But if you want more, uh, we do have you know, our Black Millionaires of Tomorrow program. is really good. Feel free to go to blackmillionairesoftomorrow.com well, during the summer when your kids have nothing to do. Uh, th this would be something that will change the trajectory for life. Because what I did was I took all these advanced financial concepts and I grinded it down to baby food so that even a seven-year-old, we have, we have four-year-olds that go through the program, but, it's, but if you have a nine-year-old or a 14-year-old or something like that, uh, they go through the material, offer, offer them like a reward. Like, you know, for every module you create or, or that you complete, I'll give you $20 or something like that. And, and when they go through that, they will have a financial literacy. So this is a guarantee we make in the Black Business School. Their financial literacy level will exceed the average college educated adult. And as a finance professor myself, I guarantee this. And if you don't agree, then let us know. We'll give you your money back. That's how sure we are that this will make a massive difference in the how your child views wealth. We cover real estate, entrepreneurship, stock market investing, and, and general investing. So those are the four areas. So uh, feel free to go to blackmillionairesoftomorrow.com if you'd like to take a look at that. All right. So uh, let me answer a couple more questions. And I actually have to bounce out of here for a meeting, but we're going to meet again next Tuesday uh, for stock market class. Uh, Linda is asking, uh, I wanted to cash out my stock. What would be the process? Uh, I'm drowning. I still have to work and can't breathe. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry to hear that. I buy stock monthly, but I'm really clueless. I've joined prime. Okay. And also watching, uh, okay. Squawk box and halftime report. Do you guys have consultations? Wow. Okay. There's a lot of questions there. Um, first thing I'll say is you might want to, um, 
make sure that you kind of relax yourself. I, I see a lot of tension here, a lot of financial anxiety. And, um, and my wife happens to be a therapist and we, we, we do, we, we created the black financial therapy department in the black business school. We, we dig a lot into financial anxiety because money makes people nervous and it creates all these emotional reactions. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not. Um, if you're, if you want to take a look, my wife does have a, a workbook on financial anxiety. I put it on my website, boycewalkins.com. Feel free to go there and take a look at that. Maybe working through that can help you kind of deal with some of that. That's the first thing. The second thing I'll say is that when it comes to learning investing, you're not going to learn everything overnight. The best way to learn it is to imagine that you are learning how to be a rapper. So imagine if I said, I want to be a rapper. I know I have a lot of friends that are rappers, you know, Killer Mike and Ice Cube and guys like that, right? So if I called them and said, hey, I want to be a rapper, um, it's not like I would go take a class on how to be a rapper. That That's not going to work. You know, I can't walk in. I also can't just walk in the booth and, you know, with my lyrics and just start rapping. Well, I would, what, what would I do? Well, I would just hang out with a lot of rappers. I would watch documentaries about hip hop. I would I would just be around it. Right. Learn the culture of hip hop. Learn how rappers walk and talk and swag and how they, you know, how they change their voice in certain lyrics and just kind of become, uh, you know, let the culture become a part of me. So the same thing is true when it comes to becoming an investor. Uh, just spend time in that space. You know, keep watching Squawk Box. Keep watching Halftime Report. Even if you don't understand it, that's okay. Just keep on taking in information. Keep having those conversations. If there's conferences or gatherings you can go to, go to those gatherings. Form a family investment club. Talk about things you learn. And eventually, it'll start to sink in. And then also the other piece, the last piece of advice I give you <clears throat> is don't overthink it. That's the biggest thing. Don't overthink it. You know, I know people who become millionaires. They know nothing about finance. And all they did was they followed the Burton Malkiel model from this book, A Random Walk Down Wall Street, 1971, where he showed monkeys how to invest. And the monkeys threw darts at a wall. They literally threw darts at a wall and randomly picked stocks. And the monkeys had more wealth than some of the Wall Street experts. <clears throat> and they also built more wealth than every person who didn't invest. You know, so the biggest mistake you can make when it comes to investing is to not invest at all. Do not let fear stop you from investing. That's like me saying, I can never drive a car because I don't know anything about how to put a car together. I don't know anything about how a car works. I don't know anything about how to engineer a car. You don't need to know all that. All you got to do is know how to sit and sit your butt in the steering wheel and drive and just don't crash into stuff. You know, <laughs> like take a driving course. You can take a two-day driving course and learn how to drive, right? So with investing, think of it the same way. And then as you go along, you, you have the option of learning more. <clears throat> the more you learn, the more you can fit your style to match what you're trying to do. But don't let that fear cause you to make the most fatal mistake you can make as an investor, which is wasting time. The reason some of you, if you if you grew up broke, um, this is my last point, then we're going to be done for today. If you grew up broke, if you grew up struggling, if you grew up without resources, the number one reason you grew up without resources, <clears throat> in addition to the fact that ra racism and all that was very real, is because a lot of time got wasted. A lot of time got wasted. Uh, if you were born in the 1980s, somebody could have started investing for you in the 1940s and the 1950s, just buying little shares of stock here and there, here and there. And those assets would have grown into an amount of money that would have put you in a position where you'd never have to work for anybody for your whole entire life. <clears throat> but what happened? Well, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know how to invest. They were intimidated by it. They thought investing was for white people, or maybe they were so busy struggling that they didn't have time to think about putting money to the side. But I can tell you, uh, for those of you that had grandparents who, who thought that way, who could see that vision, 
you're probably doing very well financially. I'll give you a good example. This is this is the model for what you're going to build for your family over the next two or three generations. This is your 2070 model. This is what your grandkids are going to get to see. Okay, let me tell you about this family. True story. <clears throat> um, in fact, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you and tell you that this is actually my wife's family. And when I said that, that I know people who don't know anything about finance, who became millionaires or very wealthy, my wife is one of those people. She does not, it's, you know, she doesn't talk about it much, but she's not interested so much in the financial stuff I talk about. She's interested in the emotional, psychological aspect of it. But when I talk about stocks and bonds and mutual funds, it goes in one ear and out the other. She It bores her. But uh, she had a grandfather in who in 1945 started buying these savings bonds for his family. And he also <clears throat> bought some property in the south side of Chicago. Maybe he spent you know $8,000 or something on a building or something. It was big. And uh, two interesting things that happened in that family that I thought was fascinating was, number one, by the time Alicia got to age where she was trying to buy property, those savings bonds her grandfather bought in 1945 had grown to such an, a, ma a massive amount of money that she was able to use that as a down payment on her first property. Put And, it, and she finished it in 1998 or whatever. The second thing about that was they bought that building for maybe $8,000 or whatever. Three generations of the family have all lived in that building pretty much rent free. And they've been able to charge rent for other people that want to live in the building. So this building that was bought in the south side of Chicago in the 1940s, maybe 1950s, still to this day is a source of income for their family where there are people in the family who literally have lived in that building for their whole entire life and are also living off the rent. They charge other tenants who live in that building. So, so I want you to think that way when it comes to uh, you know, wealth and generational legacy and everything else, these stories are possible. We did, and despite the fact that they tend to tell us only about our ancestors who had nothing and they only tell us about our ancestors who, who took one approach to life, there were lots of people, lots of black people who were very forward thinking. They were thinking about you in the 1940s. The people in Black Wall Street, I believe they were thinking about you in 1923. So I want us to, to continue that legacy because right now I'm thinking about black people in the year 2123 and saying, how are we right now gonna take this opportunity in this moment to establish uh, patterns and possibilities that will put them in a position of absolute economic dominance by the time they, they, they come into this world and they start finishing the battles that we've been fighting our whole entire life. So we're all in the same gang. We're all in the same army. We're all in the same team. We got to help out our teammates. Most of your greatest teammates are not yet born. Most of the people that are going to benefit the most from the things we're talking about right now, I believe, are not even born yet. I don't even pay halfway. I don't pay no attention to the people that aren't listening to me because I know that some of you are going to have kids and grandkids that are going to go back and watch this old video and it's going to change their life. So that's what I'm building for. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm looking at. And I know that that's a possibility for all of us. We just got to stick to it and be consistent. Okay. All right. So I'm going to get on out of here. Uh, it was great to see you. I hope this conversation was beneficial to you. I hope that uh, we learned a lot today. Uh, this was a lot of fun. 
Um, I will we'll be back next Tuesday. Uh, so uh, I look forward to seeing you then. Uh, also, just a side note, uh, uh, if you go to boyswalkins.com, you can check out information on the All Black National Convention, October 20th in Atlanta, Georgia at the Marriott Marquis Hotel. Uh, it's going to be amazing like all the other conventions have been. Uh, also, the, the book that I have out now is called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, uh, and that's on Amazon. Feel free to take a look at that. Lastly, uh, I'm going to come to Brooklyn, I think in July or August. I got to get the exact date. But I decided in Brooklyn, we're going to do two days of stock options. It's going to be an SOS stock option summit. So if that's of interest to you, you can join us in Brooklyn. I'll keep you guys posted on uh, on how that develops. All right. So thank you all, everybody. And uh, God bless you. I will see you all very, very soon. And I hope you have a great day and I hope you make a ton of money. Take it easy. Bye bye.